Hey everybody, welcome to Outspoken. I am your host, Justin White, and this is episode 68, which was recorded, by the way, on the day of the night that I got into a motorcycle accident, uh, which was now six weeks ago. And I've been having my ups and downs since then, um, mostly downs, I think, at least in my mind. But I'm trying to get through it and past it and rise above it and feel grateful for what I do have, even though privately I've been making myself miserable by complaining about what I don't have, which is the use of my arms, um, which is significant. And I think I have a right to be kind of bummed out about it. I can't do 90% of the things that I enjoy in life. So, um, yeah, it's a bummer, but I know a lot of people have it much worse than me, not just for a little while, but all the time or lots of the time. So I am grateful for what I have and I am trying to be positive and I am struggling at the, at doing so, but I'm working on it and now I'm working on the podcast again. So at least that's going my way. Um, so my guest this week is my longtime friend, Adam McCauley whom I met almost immediately after moving to San Francisco in August of 1992 uh, at one of the clubs in the Upper Haight. I can't remember if it was Nightbreak or the other one. Um, but he was playing drums for what was soon to become one of my all-time favorite rock bands and definitely one of the best bands ever to see live. And I'm talking, of course, about the only, the one and only Little Mai. Even though there are two bands with that name, this is the first one, the best one, the only one. So let's talk to my friend Adam. Um, it takes a little while to get to him because I have this long rambling lead-in question setup type thing, but uh, we'll get there. And also, did you know, it's not only bad things that you hear in the Trader Joe's parking lot. Well, what, so where does that leave us now? If if that if it's all storytelling, if that's all it is, like our whole reality is based on the stories we tell, including our individual stories, because I'm I'm dealing with a lot of that right now, just my own. You know, I've been sort of trapped in this framework that I created, but it was created before I even had knowledge of it. It was just mm -hmm. being it was being built alongside my identity and my brain and mm -hmm. my I was just developing into this construct an idea that wasn't really my own mm -hmm. but i did you know it's my reaction to the things around me that caused me to to think that way mm -hmm. so i shaped this story about who i am and where i fit mm -hmm. or don't fit usually um and it's caused me a lot of pain because it's not really i mean it's true to me when i think about my my fa my history and the things that hurt and the emotional pain that i carry still it's real because the feelings are real mm-hmm but someone else's interpretation of the same thing wouldn't cause those feelings for them. Right. Um, someone else experiencing the same thing might not even, they might react totally differently or mm -hmm. they, they might not hold on to it. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm wondering, since we each are doing that, all seven plus billion of us, like uh-huh. making our own personal story mm-hmm. and then trying to agree on a collective story in small groups and in bigger groups. And obviously it's not working on a big scale very well. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Like, what do you do with that in terms of how do you proceed with your fellow human, your fellow sapiens, uh, when you start to see this is all a myth, like these, like money is, is abstract and not real. And what, what do you, do, do you feel like anybody changes how they are based on this stuff? Or do you think these just like, Oh yeah, it is all fake, but well, I'm well, just going to keep going anyway and be part of the, the thing that we made up. It, in my case, it's just opens my, it helps open my eyes about reality around me, you know, mm-hmm. and, just it's like getting a getting a pair of glasses on or okay. something you know makes That's, it a little more clear what yeah it, you what can just really kind of about. see through stuff a lot more quickly you know okay. like for me it's just i mean i've always kind of known this in a lot of ways you know about this idea of mythology and stuff but mm-hmm. you know all you have to do is just look at what's you know everything is this just constant mythology you know and we live in a time of you know, fake news and all this kind of stuff and, and what is real and what right. is, what is fake. And, and I think it's been probably healthy for the society to kind of go through it in some ways, because you realize a lot of it is just 100% bullshit. Yep. But then you also, it also helps filter out what is actually true and real, you know? So well, for, for those who are discerning enough to see or want, exactly. or want to, yeah, or want and, to, and a lot of people yeah. don't want to, a lot of people don't or, want to, or they don't want, they don't even want to know enough to know that they should want to, right? Yeah, they just want to stay completely oblivious in order, and and in some cases that's probably, for some people that's probably is the best the best choice, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but it's also damaging on a on a wider scale, like when thirty three percent of the people vote, you know, right, <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say, you know, it's just education and, and being, being able to, you know, be flexible about who you are and what you see in the world and what's, you know, what's helpful to you and what's hurtful to you. And, you know, how do you do with that? Are you, are you pretty flexible or do you resist things when like changes that come up or think, I mean, I guess it's a broad question. I'd like to think I'm flexible and I, I feel like I'm flexible. Are you flexible in relationships? Like, are you like, mm-hmm. if somebody has a different stance, you're willing to hear it and oh, absolutely. work with them? And, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, like that said, I mean, I do have friendships that have faded, you know, for any number of reasons. Um, Based on inflexibility, you think? Or just, you know, drifting apart of interests and whatnot. That yeah. kind of, mainly that's what it is. I mean, when I was younger, I was, I was more... Um, well, I don't know. I don't know how it was for you growing up, but my family moved around quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> we never lived in one place for terribly long, mm-hmm. except for when when we landed in Missouri. So I always consider myself having grown up in Missouri. Okay, but we were really at, only at what there age for did you land there? Like second grade to tenth grade. Okay, so it wasn't really that long, but it was. But the it was a formative stretch. year, you know, formative years. Mm-hmm. And when I left, when I left. Missouri to come to California um, in the middle of high school is super hard for me. And my family had been through all this stuff. My brother had died. Mm. And that was sort of like, you know, this this bomb going off in the middle of our family yeah. because uh, my mom was just like, I'm done with Missouri. 
I hate this place. Right. And Don't so want she, any of these memories. Or, yeah. yeah. She basically, um, she just didn't like, she never really liked Missouri. We were there because my dad got this job head of the art department there. And so she, I, you know, so she, she was able to get a job like that at Stanford. And mm-hmm. so she moved, she moved to Stanford. And so I, I, dad, dad was having a harder time getting work in California. It took him a few more years, but in any event, the, the reason I bring this up is that, so I followed mom to, to Stanford. They separated or did no, they, they didn't they, separate. They were just trying to make it work in both yeah. places. Okay. Yeah. He, he stayed on and they were, they didn't separate, but they just kind of took a couple of years to, for him to get a job out there. And, okay. And your mom was a professor? Is it, she was a um, art historian art historian with a specialty in librarian as a librarian oh, so okay. she was an art history librarian awesome which is this really sort of yeah you're the only one doing it there's you, very few people places. who do it at, the, at that level that she did it and so she was she was largely responsible she was there at a time when uh the art the stanford's library was going from slides to digital Oh, so she she helped, she helped that make the shepherd that process. And your dad was just a straight artist, or painter, was he, yeah, okay. painter and and academic, you know. And uh, anyway, so you know, so that was the first real time when I had to like say goodbye to high school friends, you know, and, and right you in know, the middle, yeah, Sounds right in the middle of high school, oh. you know, it's, and that on top of um, my brother dying, it was just a very alienating time for me. Can and, we talk about that at all? Is that too, course. too hard? To- yeah. No, not at all. I don't think I even knew that about you. I don't yes, know that... about my brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so my brother was uh, he was older brother, um, and I was sort of in a shadow as as a kid because as imagine you might have struggled with Eric, you know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah and so my brother was a very talented uh, artist and very charismatic guy, and um, so he had sort of a. You know, he had sort of a posse of of people that really looked up to him in Columbia and everything. And he was sort of well known in town too. It was Columbia, Missouri is like a college town; it's about okay. seventy thousand people, but it's like three different colleges, and so it's pretty liberal. You know, it's probably not unlike uh, Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, yeah. yeah. It draws liberal folks from all over the world, and yeah, yeah. Growing up there changes how you view things, right? I'm sure the culture around you. And I've never been, but I'd love to go. I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. We were hanging out in Detroit couple summers ago and it was great I that's cool detroit. that you've seen detroit that's, yeah that's yeah a site worth seeing oh yeah it's great i love detroit yeah me too but so so my brother got uh uh cancer he got hodgkin's disease mm. which is like a lymph lymph node thing when right. he was about 17 and um he got he, he basically he survived it but to part of the treatment he was coming out here to stanford flying out because my parents are originally from the bay area so they have okay. a lot of ties there and so they were coming to stand he was coming out to do like radiation treatments in stanford and and because at that time that was sort of the ec- leading experts in the country on okay. that my parents were trying to give him the best treatment and he survived it the cancer it took about two years to get through it but um part of that uh treatment as so often happens with medical stuff at that level part of the treatment helped kill him because yeah. at that time it, his case became sort of this landmark case about what not to do oh really yeah and so what what they had done is they removed his spleen mm. as part of the treatment but that's part of the filtration system well, now they know that they uh, didn't they did it wasn't they wasn't, thought it was like they didn't really know what it was for yeah mm. exactly so he ended up dying of toxic shock syndrome which is just like from a co- 
common cold. His right. body just it took Because all the organs revolted, not knowing yeah. what to do without their missing yeah. part. So he died really suddenly. Oh, man. I'm and, so sorry. Uh, well, you know, it's thanks. But, you know, it's everyone has stories and, you know, it's... But that's a, that's a major, he was 17 and you were... He, he was actually 19 when he passed away and I was like 13. That's, so it's like right in the middle of my puberty. <laughs> that's like a hard time to be hit with yeah. with something that major. And then yeah, the yeah. move after that. And Well, the move was about, I think maybe a year or so later, something like that, a year or two later, I can't remember. Well, you said like sophomore years. Or a, it was or junior, yeah, like after 10th grade. So yeah, whatever. 16 power probably. Yeah. Um, it was, no, it was right before, I think I was like 15. But that's like your most, that's yeah. like a really critical time yeah, emotionally yeah. and, and yep. how, you know, you're learning about adulthood and autonomy right. and like yep. who you are as a person. Yeah. All that stuff. So it was, it would, <clears throat> you know, I was a little instant overnight punk rocker. Really? Know. Is that how oh, you, re- yeah. is that how you reacted? It was just like, well, pretty much. I mean, it. we were getting, cause Kevin, my brother was, was also really into music and, and, uh, Prior to his death, he was he was really good at you know he was one of those guys who would you know find the coolest new bands mm-hmm. and, you know so it would have been like a t- you know Ramones and the Clash and you know the Pretenders and all these bands of that era that were coming out you know mm-hmm. so we had a really good you know so we would spin records and and I was always sort of for me it was like a, a big identity thing because I was so used to being in his shadow that all of a sudden I was, I was out front now. And yeah. so it was, it was actually, you know, that was the healthy part of it for me. It was, it just kind of forced me out of it. Um, did but, you, did you feel, I mean, it must've been scary as hell, whether you were conscious of it or not, you know, it must've been some pretty ma- major psychic, you know, reconstruction. Pretty much. Yeah. Like that. But, um, and you, it was alienating too, which yeah. is at that age to be, I think, you know, really alien feeling very alien from, uh, your, your peers experiences right. was pretty lonely. I think I would imagine. Yeah. So. Yeah. Something that drastic, especially where, you know, yeah. And so, so music kind of saved you and gave you something to like put, identify with put and my put, energy in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And were you playing already at that time? Well, you know, it's funny because in Missouri I wasn't, but I had two friends who were really good drummers and so I was always hanging out with them and and like playing on their drums and stuff one of them he was from a very like Missouri family you know like white Baptist farming farming family the heartland yeah and his bands would always be playing like Leonard Skinner covers and that that. kind of stuff that was the very first thing that came to mind (laughs) Leonard Skinner (laughs) yeah totally and and then this other guy was Mike uh, Mike uh, I can't remember his last name at the moment but another drummer He's another drummer, and I was never really close with him, but I'd, I'd, I would hang out at his house sometimes and watch, and he was a really good drummer. And years later, when I moved when I moved back here after college, um, uh, I, I ran into him, you know, and he was drumming for Shark Bait, that band Shark oh, yeah. Bait, and then he was drumming with American Music Club and all these wow. bands. And so it was kind of a trip to just run into this guy that you, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to hang out. You hadn't seen him all that in all that no, time. Didn't know anything. That's yeah, cool. anything. But so, um, so but you, yeah, so you watched drama, a lot of drumming, a lot of drumming. And then you would sit down at the kid every once in a while yeah. when they weren't. Yeah, and it. I'd have pots and pans in the basement and that kind okay. of thing. So yeah. you felt like you wanted to be a drummer. At Pretty that? much, what happened is when I moved out to uh, with my mom to to Palo Alto, um, you know, 
Palo Alto was a cool place to move to from Missouri because yeah. Missouri, you know, we used to call it misery, you mm-hmm. know, and Missouri a lot of people do still. Yeah. And I mean, I, I dig Missouri a lot. It's, there's a lot to really like about it, but at, you know, at that age, it's a good time to get the hell out of there because right. just everyone's getting at drugs and, you know, drinking and it's really stupid. Mailbox baseball. Yeah. All that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Redneck bottle rocket yeah. fights and that kind of thing. <laughs> And, you know, That's so what we do here. Yep. And, you know, I've moved to Palo Alto and I was like, oh, my God, what is going on with this town? Because this was pre Silicon Valley or it's like right at the beginning of Silicon Valley before it wasn't really, you know, no one was really seeing it yet. Right. But it, but, uh, you know, there was everyone was smart. Mm-hmm. Everyone was good looking. <laughs> Many people had really weird, interesting talents and stuff, you know, and there'd be like that. I remember meeting the son of uh, uh this guy who studied like Yuri Geller, oh. you know, that kind of like just odd, new, just weird, interesting, interesting people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, like parapsychology and, and, you know, at Stanford, like not, not like fringe, but like the real, right. and, and then quickly made new friends. Um, a couple of weirdos <laughs> that were at the school. Well, so one thing, Palo Alto high school was pretty amazing. School is very different than Missouri, uh, Hickman high, which was like, that's, that was the name of it. Wow. And you know, it was, it was like an ag- agriculturally centered school and learn how to farm and, and yeah, do all that stuff. business and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was sort of like a penitentiary the way it was run, you know, you, could, uh-huh. you had to get a hall pass to go, you know, to go to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, there were some good, good teachers and stuff there. It wasn't that horrible. It was just more, you know, like Palo Alto was like super progressive and, open campus uh out you know outdoor campus it was right catty corner to stanford campus wow and we could leave campus if we wanted during lunch and stuff so we'd always go run off to stanford campus and doesn't that don't you think that does so much for a kid to like to have that kind of autonomy and be like hey you're free to go yeah Yeah. it was great i mean we took advantage of it for sure of course but that's something too that's that's an important part of learning as well absolutely break the rules and see where it leads you absolutely and and it had a really great art department, so uh, I was able to really do a lot of my art making stuff. And a couple of the, I met some students in in the art department, and you know, in the theater. They had, it had this really great theater uh, class and everything. And even my, many of my friends were theater people, even and though you I was were too, you weren't. I wasn't really involved be- in it, but but I, I just, that's where I, I found my people. I always felt those are the most know. authentic people. In, really? high, in high schools, yeah, huh. the drama kids, the drama kids, yeah, for real, like they're they're getting into something in, in themselves, that, yep. and a lot, and most everyone else is avoiding that or trying to cover it, you know, put a facade, yeah, and we, you know, we were like the little punk rockers, and you know, the the jocks would throw stuff at us right. at lunch and all that kind of typical stuff. What kind of hair did you have at that? You know, thing? I never had really extreme hair, but some yeah. of my friends did. They had mohawks, and you know, mm-hmm. all but kinds you'd of be clothes. wearing like clash shirts and stuff, and that kind of rip, stuff. Yeah, yeah we'd kind of dress up a bit and you nice. know and, and and is that how you made friends quickly because you had like probably a, a connected yeah they were also alienated kids and mm. you know and so we started a little punk punk rock band called painful rectal itch <laughs> nice <laughs> and uh that pri quick, pri yeah That's amazing and that um did you draw the logo for it or yeah we had there? logos of you know fingers and butts and all that <laughs> That's amazing yeah the guitar player uh was this guy he was a really weird guy who was a great guy but he was also very strange and uh who was into like his family was mormon 
pretty strict Mormon, and he was not. He was just not. He was like a total freak. Right. And did, s- did they know that? I mean, it was. Oh he yeah, was he was just. Outcast? He was just right in their face okay. about it. You right. know, smoking pot and and tell you know telling him really telling them really gross things and. But don't they sort of like disown you if you do that? Don't you? No, do- they were loving people. They you know they they put up with his weirdness and and wow. he but he would like you know go into his room and crank throbbing gristle and <laughs> stuff like that that was really like disturbing to them. I'm sure. Is it because your parents? Like, yeah, my parents were that? both, you know, artisans, so they were always very uh, supportive. My mom really wanted me to. She was really depressed that I went into illustration as opposed to fine art. Uh, she wanted me to go into fine art. She and, just didn't like the like the commercialism. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and and my father is you know very pragmatic. I think he was totally behind it, and he also n- knew a lot about the design field as well uh-huh. and so he totally understood that you can you can do quite a good art in the design field as well right so, but anyway so i was getting going as an illustrator getting jobs here and there and uh bartending and then my mom and i was yeah it was assistant at, for peter and then my mom got sick with cancer oh. and so then i moved at a certain point this would have been like 88 uh the fax machine was it was had been invented right. and federal express just started happening right so i was like fuck it i don't need to be in new york anymore so and my i wanted to be around my mom and help yeah. her through that period and so I, that's when i moved back here and the first you know that one of the first and and so lexa walsh and i were were went out for a long time in new york city mm-hmm. and she she i encouraged her to come move out here because i, I just thought she'd find find her voice more in san francisco in the bay area uh-huh. and so when i moved out here even though we weren't partners anymore we we're still really good friends um i was kind of st- hanging out with her just you know just being back here and 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 so that's when i met matt and nat and tynan uh that crew was g- g- going over to lexa's house you and, met all of them at once 
Well, they were playing together, and and Jamie, uh, this guy Jamie was one of Lexa's roommates, and uh, he was playing drums for them, and I came in, and I was like, I was just like, Matt just like blew me away. I was like, this guy is a freak and a half, and Uh I love what he's playing. His guitar guitar playing is so amazing. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, I don't think Tynan, I don't know what she was, I don't even think she was playing an instrument. And I think Nat was just kind of running around screaming and stuff. Uh (laughs) And I would look at Jamie and I'm like, Jamie is a really, really nice guy, but I can just drum way better than this guy. Mm -hmm. And I want to drum because so Jamie, I feel kind of bad because I just kind of sat in on the drums. Uh, sort of. Yeah. And then me and Matt just like connected like that. And, and so then we and at the time, I was living in a warehouse over in Fruitvale in Oakland, and so I, we just started practicing out over there, and, and we that's how that all, all began. That's where Little Mai was born. Yeah, and the Little Mai thing came out of just us uh, all having, at the time, you know, Toby Johnson wasn't a well-known uh, children's book author in mm-hmm. the States like she is now. Now there's like, you know, little movement trolls you know <laughs> stores and right. stuff you know and back then it was like we we discovered that we had all grown you know it's read that. oh you'd all read that book read or those th- books oh. yeah and so and it just kind of made sense and you know it's a great name i mean i i never knew what it was referencing and it didn't matter i uh-huh. mean i was curious i remember uh-huh. and i found out soon enough uh-huh. but it didn't matter the, the music right. was amazing and the the name fit somehow like it just made sense well and more recently you know when we got back together again you know matt was like hey i'm gonna be in town you guys want to get together and jam and then we found out that rick weldon was back in town because we i had last heard that he had moved up to portland i didn't know he had moved back here and and uh and it's like oh yeah well i have a studio you know i'm like well awesome let's just get together and play there and and we're playing together and i don't know if nat Nat talked about this stuff but not in depth but he he said that I want to hear your take too. Well, it's basically like we we started playing, and and Matt was like, "Well, maybe we should, you know, book some shows," and and we're like, none of us were terribly interested in in learning all our old material again, so we're right. just like, like, why would we do that anyway? Just be a little my cover band. Let's just write some more stuff. And then the more we thought about it, we're like, like, why do we even call ourselves Little My? You know, because a well, there's a couple of reasons why we didn't want to go there because there's there's since since we were a band back in the '90s, there's been another Little My band right. that was sort of this big cooperative in Canada that did that made a name for themselves enough for so that everyone you know would think about them. Right. But then also we were just like, you know, Rick was like, I always thought the name was too twee, you know, and <laughs> and, and you know it it made sense at one point in our p- period, I think, but but it. You know, and then so we we're like, well, whatever, we can go there if we need to, and and then uh, so we just wrote a bunch of new music and played those shows, and then uh, which were amazing, and thanks. and and also people Glad you were them. Uh, they're so great. I mean, a lot. I know all of your diehard fans were oh, no, lo- longing for. I know, I know. At least like one, yeah, little taste. But I, I we'd actually, probably do that again. I think if we if we played another show, which which I'm sure we will. Yeah, because people are like heckling, people are yelling at you guys for not. I know, I know. Playing like you know something from an album that we knew. Well, it's weird as a but band, I was, though. I, wasn't. You know? I know. I I totally respect it. Yeah, and I actually like, respect that you were hard, like you drew a hard line and yeah. said, like, "No, this we're doing this." Because we want to make new music, and it and it was yeah. still very much you guys. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. like I felt the full 
presence of of your what you do together right yeah yeah no matter what you call it you know and of course i I mean i love those old songs so much and i you know every time anything it just taps into something in me i don't know what it is you guys are like still one of my favorite rock bands of all time that's cool yeah and you are i think one of the best drummers on the earth Ah, i'm not i'm not even that's that's very sweet it's it's really true i mean i've you're one you're definitely my favorite drummer to watch um out of all the bands i've seen live it's just, you're just ah, like that's cool yeah it's just like pure it looks like you're just so these days i'm just like gramps up there though <laughs> <laughs> with your rickety hand yeah my rickety hand i gotta do my stretches but but you know at, at, at the same time that little my was playing i was um you know i met cynthia in that time period and although we didn't we didn't end up playing music together till later um, you did you end know, up getting married, though. Yeah, we got married, of course. And but you know, <laughs> having we a, having cats and a dog together. She, I mean, she was always playing in other bands, like you know, Bedlam Rovers and uh, other acts. People were having her play violin and stuff. But then when we moved to Maui, she was able to um, write a bunch of music, and so oh, that's cool. how that band started, Bermuda Triangle Service. Nice. And so that was kind of fun because it was so different than than uh, Little Mai. Right. But it was still still pretty artful, even though it's like this sort of more of an Americana vibe as it there she she does a lot of odd things mm-hmm. in her music that's that is really interesting to me. Cool. Yeah, so we were doing that and then of course Warm Wires um was after the little Mai kind of ground to a, a halt. Right. I'm, I'm trying to remember really what happened. Well, I think Matt moved. Matt moved well, but before Matt moved Oh, uh, maybe Rick got married or something. Uh, uh, yeah, and- I think I think there was, I can't really remember what exactly happened, but Warm Wire sort of bloomed, and and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That was so fun. Those yeah. shows are so, I mean, Brad, I was just talking to somebody about how Brad, it, just the joy of watching him sing. Yeah, and, yeah, and oh, just, yeah. And he's such a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we had a good time with a couple of records and yeah. really fun tours, and, you know, Bernie Jungle's su- such a joy to play with, and... um. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, wait, but did, so did you guys come up with a new name? Back, back to the little... Oh, Inframaton. Inframaton. So Inframaton came out of Rick. So so it's it's Rick uh, spell check problem. He, <laughs> he put it, he typed in inf- information and he did it somehow wrong and it came out as Inframaton. Nice. And he was like, hey guys, you want to you call the record this? And I'm like call the record that fuck that let's call the band that because awesome. it's such the you know people were like oh whatever a fromaton to me it's like it's like the perfect word for our times and and kind of our attitude of writing that latest batch of music we just kind of let it happen you know and it's kind of uh and immediately we just started like me we started passing around like the, the four of us we started passing around just inframaton type of images, you know, just like quick Photoshop mashups. Okay. Uh, you know, I can send that some of those to you, but they're, you know, I'd just like, just, you know, I sent some, a bunch to Eric actually, because, you know, we're, we're hoping he, we can u- maybe use an image of his for, oh, the, wow. for the, for the, uh, album somehow. That'd be amazing. Um, but it's sort of like his work too. It's just like that word is sort of like his work. It's like, it's just like, the weirdness of of reality right now it's and you know it's almost in a specific way about 
communication and the media and mm-hmm. you know we we're talking about mythology earlier like it's all just getting so twisted up right all know? of the information has now been jumbled into it's just a one, new form that you, is a different word and you can't it, pronounce you can't it, spell check it yeah and, and it's just like it's it's almost like devo or something it's like mm-hmm. it's like we are all in fromaton you know it's like everything is in fromaton these days you can just slap that word on on a you know a chicken a, a frozen chicken and it makes sense expressing that way did you feel pressure to to do it did you feel like i mean you said it was fostered and you were supported in doing it but did Uh you feel like this is what i have like i'm just curious to know if it was an internal drive or the fact that art was just a part of your life it was an internal drive okay yeah yeah so you just knew i gotta create i have to make stuff and yeah and were you drawing from the time you were yeah yeah we all were even my you know my sister was too and were you being recognized like um, amongst your peers as when I was a, something yeah a little bit special. I mean even though as I say I was always under the shadow of my brother in my younger years yeah um you know like my my mascot became the high you know the junior high school mascot and I won the art award the okay. drawing table and stuff like that so you were kind of the best in your pool in, in your, my pool in yeah I would draw spider-man for the you know <laughs> for three bucks for the other really kid, that kind you of saw, stuff that's, <laughs> you, you were an entrepreneur so yeah I was like that too yeah yeah I'm sure I, I used to go buy candy at, like I would leave school against the rules at lunchtime and uh-huh. go buy candy and bring it back to school and sell it to the uh-huh. kids who didn't leave school. <laughs> That's like my roommate in college. He was like that. He was, he would do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway. So you, so you were, you knew you were going to be, you knew you were an artist mm-hmm. and there was nobody there telling you you couldn't be. And in fact, they were saying you, you should be or go for it. Yeah. They were kind of, my parents were a hundred percent supportive That's always so cool. in everything. I was very lucky. I had really great parents. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. Um, truly. Sorry. It's incredibly fortunate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I just imagine like what, how many of those kids I know landed in the wrong family Yep. or just never knew that was even an option for them. Right. And if you had somebody, I just feel like there should be a way 
that somebody can just be inserted into each little kid's world Mm. to be their beacon and say like, hey, did you ever think of this? Hey, you, you don't have to listen to these what these people are well, saying. You know, that's what my brother was in a lot of ways. He was yeah. he was like my little beacon and you know, he was I admired what he did and and you know, he became kind of a thug for a little while. Oh really? Yeah, he got he got into trouble when he got sick with cancer. He well, he used to hang out with he was sort of this really charismatic guy as I was saying and he he sort of had this group of friends they called themselves the derelicts. Uh-huh. And they'd you know, as soon as they got old enough they they rented a house, you know, and they'd always be throwing these keg parts you know it's like animal house or something yeah. and he was sort of the the head guy of the derelicts and they did stupid stuff like you like know dangerous stupid or well just... i mean they got busted like he was working at, at a bookstore in town downtown columbia and one of his friends the derelict guys broke into somewhat somehow like burgled some checkbook from some apartment building and so he would come in and write bogus checks my brother would accept the checks and they'd get books in exchange and right and you know he got busted after because it i think it i think the owner of the bookstore was an ex-detective or something they figured it out pretty quick okay and then he you know then he was basically arrested but he was too young to be go to jail or whatever so he was just on probation there sort of towards his final years and stuff they know. didn't have juvie or anything or it was like a juve yeah it was okay. a juvenile thing checking. yeah but and then he then he skipped town and they found him in Portland. It's just this whole story. I your brother? Is your yeah. brother? He skipped town on. He skipped on, town on the juvenile. While on probation. Yeah, on the probation thing, and and my, you know, he 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 was a pain in the ass, basically. Okay. For my parents there, towards the end. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway. And this is after his diagnosis. Is this like yeah. because he knew? Like, was it after? I think it was. It was right. Right around the time when he was diagnosed. So yeah. it was probably like him eight. lashing out, right? Probably, just, yeah. yeah. You can't really blame someone that young yeah. when something like that happens. That's true. You kind of have to show your rage somehow. Well, not everyone does. I feel like that, yeah. that's probably how I would have reacted. Uh-huh. I mean, I was doing that shit anyway. Yeah. I, I was reacting to something else much less significant with the same you know, force, the same sort of mm-hmm. rebellious resistance to anybody telling me what to do yeah well and that's the age to do it too Mm -hmm. yeah so huh and you you didn't you were in his shadow up to a point but then were you did you feel like you didn't want to go the thug route or did you were you thinking like this i was too young i think Okay. I mean, like, we kind of glamorized it in a little bit, you know. Right. A little, you know. Be hard not to. It's like my brother's so the, head of the derelicts. He's yeah. The, well, like, and also, you know, so, so Dungeons and Dragons, right? So mm-hmm. that was the era of Dungeons and Dragons in the seventies, and all my parent, all my brother's friends were all they were like greasy, the derelicts. They were like you know greasy nacho cheese eating. You know, they and they just sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. And, okay. And so, you know, me, I would look up to them like, D&D, cool, you know, so then I got into it with my friends, you Uh know, and then when he got, he became like this gangster, and that was sort of a time period too when, when like, it was sort of glamorized in Hollywood, there was a lot of like, you know, there was like Bonnie and Clyde and, you know, the Sam Peckinpah movies and um, I don't know. There was just sort of this, this, uh, the Godfather and stuff. There was like this whole thing about like crime. Yeah, and it was sort it was of getting glamorized. Cool to be a gangster. Yeah, yeah, and so then we invented our own 
version of Dungeons and Dragons that was that was criminals. Oh, it wow. was like I can't remember what we called it, but it was like crooks. That sounds you know? awesome. <laughs> Where you made whole worlds, yeah, crime by. worlds, and I don't, I can't even remember how we played it or anything. But I just remember, you know, because I, you know, being artists, one of the things Kevin would do is he'd make these amazing, uh, uh, you know, painted figurines. Remember yeah. those figurines, Ralph Partha. My, my brother it. did. Like both my brother and I got into those. More yeah, than, more than the game. Like we didn't actually play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right, you we just, just like made the things. And yeah, he was so much better at painting them than I was. But I, I, but that, I still love just. I feel in a lot of ways that's how I learned to paint. Cause really, because I, I got really lead into figures, lead figures, but also I got into building uh, dioramas, you know, with military models and all yeah. that. I actually, my first published piece was in Military Modeler Magazine. Because you and built... It was, this, a, it was this diorama I made, you know, awesome. painted and everything. And and my friend Chris Ketchy took the photos. and That's cool, man. Yeah, so, and I used to do a lot of like, um, what do you call it, you know, rebuilding them and jerry-rigging them and stuff to make like instead of military model, it would be like Road Warrior or car uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. We did a little, we would build models of cars and, yeah. and planes and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and Eric was always good at putting them in a, just a different sort of context. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really cool. It's yeah. Like, I do feel like that's how I learned to paint. That's or, awesome. Or a lot about how I learned to paint. Yeah. yeah. And you still call on those, those skills. Like, I guess I probably do. from every, every it really is it's, it's a good school to be teaching at it's yeah. got it's got it's 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 righteous you know that like their goals are, are really good and talk about integrity they got it yeah they got it and they have um you know really open policy towards the kind of students they want to bring in and so there's a lot of uh diversity and you know nice i mean it's not without its problems like any institution of course but, yeah building right do they now. allow robots <laughs> robot students 
God. AI? Can, yeah. it, can, AI, can, can it, somebody's... It's like, not going to be long, right? I wonder about that stuff when you are just... It's just going to start being subtly introduced into... Oh, hello, class. I'd like you to meet our new... Yeah. You know, and it's like this... Wall-E. This automaton that someone designed and is sitting at home like, <sighs> watching through their... Through the screen. It's going to be a weird world. Yeah. A weird and scary world. We're right on the it brink already of it, is. I we? know, we are, yeah. Just waiting for the, you know, the singularity to happen and... Do you believe in that? You believe oh, people oh, are going to get? Oh, for sure. Really? Oh, no question. It's going to happen. What? Do, I mean, you, unless we destroy ourselves first. Well, how do you foresee and, it playing out? If that, if it goes that instantaneously, way, that we just get suddenly consumed by what like artificial what, intelligence? What will happen to us, though? Like what? Do, uh, what to the individual? I, I, hopefully, we will survive it, but uh, we could easily, very well, not. You know, because why would why would we stick? Why would a computer? want to have us around if you know there's no reason to unless we program them to right so unless the programming is i mean that's what they say is the big issue of the singularity you what, know? what's going to happen we're just going to be eradicated by the robot why wouldn't we i mean what would or happen if we'd be if, enslaved more likely i think they would have maybe. the intelligence to, to use us to? for what we're good at yeah maybe they would you know maybe it'd be like the matrix or something i don't know uh-huh. but but um but I, you think that's like that's where it's going to go no, like regardless of what like based on what we're doing and the way we're headed, you think that's the end if we don't all that's die? That's what Google and that's what all these companies are trying to do. But I know. But what do you think about the the per, like the spirit, the the individual, the human? Uh-huh. That's not what we're made for, and we know it internally. Even if we're willing to go along with a whole bunch of shit, and we we're attached to our phones, and we're complacent in all these other ways, uh-huh. I don't feel like there's a time when we would just sort of agree to be overrun by this thing or have, like what how, how would it actually play out we'd be mili- like there would be a militarized robot uh, army or something that take like it forces us to do well, their bidding or what do you- well no i mean the whole thing about the singularity is is it's like the moment that we invent an intelligence that's equal to us it's going to make itself much smarter than us within a day but my so my I don't believe that that's feasible because I think there's something in the human that cannot be replicated mm-hmm. nor expanded upon with with computer technology. Like the intelligence factor is something. Well, I'm you not could saying there's any soul there. Yeah, the intelligence that, yeah. factor. So what what like what is its driving? What what's driving it to to do these things? Just because it's as smart as us, why would it automatically? Well, that's the key. It's what's driving it is software, right? Right. So that's the key is the software. And so, and, and humans have to write the software correctly when it gets to that point. Because if, if it hasn't been written correctly, then the, a, 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 an artificial intelligence that's sm- smarter than us is going to move that software wherever the hell it wants to move it. And maybe it doesn't, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, a vacuum cleaner that becomes smart, smart, or, you know, that becomes smarter than us overnight. Mm-hmm. For some reason they've they've you know uh, Black and Decker or something has created a self learning part of it so that it learns to clean clean your corner of your room better. Right. But it turn but the the you know the, little do they know that the computer has you know advances that that process. There's not proper software in this thing to, to deal with that intelligence. Uh-huh. God knows what could happen. Maybe maybe all of a sudden every robot in the world wants to vacuum. 
<laughs> it, it, as good okay. as it possibly can. Yeah. And that's its sole in the, goal. In the corner of the... In, yeah. And that's its sole goal, you know, and it's, it's hyper-intelligence at that goal. But then the humans still have their physical abilities, right? Don't, don't we just pick up a, a Black & Decker, you know, chainsaw and cut through the vacuum or take a Stanley or a Craftsman hammer and smash it to bits? Or... But then this thing's smarter than us. So it, it would, it would, it would create, it could create uh, inte- an intelligent robot that would, that would kill us first. But don't we have instincts? Because its sole goal is to vacuum in that corner of the room. Right. But we have instincts. We have a survival instinct that AI doesn't have. Right. Uh, who knows? Or maybe it's if being it's written be- in the code that yeah. it's like at all costs, keep it, yourself alive, but it doesn't even know. No, at all costs, vacuum the corner. Vacuum the corner. Which right. is its sole goal is to get better at vacuuming the corner. Yeah. But if the human's sole purpose is to uh, be a representation of consciousness, you know, in the, or whatever, I, you know, my take on it is that that's what each of us is. It's like our own, we're, we are a part of the collective consciousness of, of the of quantum being, energy of whatever right. it is yeah, yeah. yeah i mean i don't i don't technically i don't tend to go toward the scientific end i go toward mm-hmm. the spiritual side mm-hmm. right and well that's... all my point is is that the, if you look at this you know the singularity movement mm-hmm. it's it's heavily it's very deeply funded by the richest corporations in tech right now right they're all actively searching for this level of intelligence right every day they're building they're building you know machines every day that are getting better and better at at you know doing all sorts of crazy shit but i still sorry to interrupt i, yeah. I just i still feel like it's they they exist sort of in the, they a lot of the people that are in that world which has sort of taken over a lot of other mm-hmm. parts of the world uh-huh. think that that's all there is they, they're right. only thinking in terms of programming and and like you know, progress and building the best thing and everything being automated and all, you know, right. And, and they it's kind very of short sighted. Yeah. And it's yeah. very narrow sighted because right. they're, they're thinking that everyone else in the world also believes this is the most important tool and this is what we, we should be pushing for. And, you know, right. we got to get to space and we got to do this. And right. there are a whole bunch of us who don't want anything to do with any of that. Right. We, we want to make art or we want right. to dance and sing and play and, you know, or love each other. And we don't. Mm-hmm. So, what are the like those people aren't really being we're not buying into it in the first place uh-huh. and also we would resist it just instinctively we'd be like no i'm not letting this fucking machine take over so unless it unless there was some forceful like there has to be an enforcer right the inf- otherwise the you just go and plug is, the thing the enforcer is going to be the software that's the only thing that so you just gonna... unplug it or you smash it or you burn it or you do something physical to end the that particular robot's existence so yeah, what, if you can catch it in time. But the pre- thing is, is they're just working everything they can do to get there. Well, they want to get it all up into like this interconnected cloud thing so that everyone is forcefully connected. But what if you just don't have a device? You just don't believe in that shit. Where, what's going to get you? Like, what is it that's going to actually be a threat? Tech, technology. But It'll if get you. you. It, it can get you. <laughs> You mean you are you? But I'm just trying to like flesh it out into all the like. What does it mean? Like there are going to be turrets on the corner that. Are you know they laser guided missiles? If you step out of line, and or is it going to be no like idea. oh we all just got sucked into our things so much that we no longer exist? Who knows? I mean, if you create a, a machine that's smart enough to 
relearn its own intelligence and and make its intelligence better. Yeah. I mean, you go from like right now, this is where it's going AI like this, right? You're but once that happens, it's just like curve. straight up. Yeah. Like almost straight up. That's how that's how fast. But, but that's only the intelligence quotient that that's we're talking right. about. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking about the human heart and human well, the, spirit. That's, that wouldn't and, be part of it. Yeah. That's, exactly. It, it, it might. It might be part of it. It might. It might. It somehow it might be. Uh, there, that that level of intelligence might have an interest in in uh, trying Co-opting to the... harness it or whatever. You know. And that. And, and my you know, belief this, is we that we sound like we sound like you know Star Trek: The Next Generation and Data and all that shit. Yeah. You know, and it's like. No, but the thing is, when you get to that intelligent point, uh, that's my point. All I'm saying is, like, the humanity, the only way to really stop, keep it human, is to build, make sure that software says you can never, ever harm a human being. And then then we'll benefit from it. But otherwise, you know, I I just worry that we're going to reach that point um, with some random lab somewhere where someone figures it out, you know, and well, it happened. We're, we're, ha- we're designing militaristic robots as yeah, we yeah. speak. So exactly. there's already the machinery to, to do harm. To yeah, humans. absolutely. It's a specific purpose. That's it's vacuuming the corner. It's right. going murdering right. people. Yep. A drone or whatever, you know. Yep. So, but it's always the human element that is the is the issue. So if you can convince the human element not to participate in the AI part of it then i think the ai has no power over it i would think i would think it would be the other way around you think the ai is going to dictate what we get to unless we unless unless we control before it gets to that point unless we bake into into the software okay a a protection of you know and you know an honoring of the of of humans human soul all of that you know but if somebody writes that code and inserts it into the mainframe, can't somebody else just write different code that circumvents it? Yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> the human, the human thing is the problem. Like the human desire to be in power yes. is why this. Well, whole, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, to me, it's why the whole idea of the singularity came about in the first place. It's a human idea. That, yeah. That that's where it would go. That's, right. The, the the AI itself has nothing to do with its own direction. Right. It's what we're putting in there. That Absolutely. Makes it, so that's exactly what my point is. Yeah. yeah. So my point is that ultimately it is the humans who decide whether or not this, not just whether or not they write into the software, but even mm-hmm. if it gets written into the software mm-hmm. that it's okay to harm humans, it's still the humans who have the power to decide if they're going to participate in that or not. And maybe. You don't think that's no. You think I think there might not if have you a deal with it uh, with an intelligence, a, a cold, soulless intelligence mm-hmm. of that exponential reproducibility and growth. How, how are you? Well, humans are just going to be out of the equation instantly. There's no way you're going to be able to control that. I'm I mean, just. I still don't. I still don't see what that event would be. Like, what would? What would? How would that look? It would be okay. Maybe a machine, your vacuum cleaner machine, builds like instantly. Uh, builds uh, some machines that are going to help it clear the clear the humans out of the room completely. Okay. Uh, uh, shoot shoot a, a communication uh, over some sort of electronic uh, network to all of t- shitloads of machines worldwide instantly mm-hmm. of all sorts right. to com- com- immediately start um, 
getting humans out of the way and mining mining for all the minerals they're going to need for their metals to build themselves. Right. But so okay, they so, could wipe out humanity in in couple in couple of weeks. All right, so here I want to I want to take it step by step. If <laughs> if I was sitting in my room and my vacuum started to act up uh-huh. and started to like pull other well, things from, uh-huh. I know some of this would happen like in in an invisible realm. Yeah, but you're talking about like machines. And all remember, over the world. this is a hype hyper intelligence. So they would be the the machine would be would be scheming a whole strategy. A way to do it secretively. A way to do it however it needs to do it to, but, to, to succeed so in vacuuming every corner of the universe. But human intuition, I think, at least for some of us, would be enough to, to catch on, to be like, what? why is that tractor moving by itself across the field to go dig up? Like what? Like when you say you're going to mine all the resources, and what are the humans going to be doing in the meantime? We're going to be like, oh shit, we get, we better set that so be thing trying on to, fire before. Yeah, we better we better try to shut down that vacuum cleaner right now. Yeah, but who knows? At that point, the the, the software may have already been sh- it's already thrown friends into that. with a gun. And a, yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, it's just at that level of intelligence, you know. I mean, all this is just goofy speculation. Yeah, right? I know. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. I just, I really, at my heart, feel like we. We are our human consciousness is a special version of sure whatever we feel here, like what we're experiencing here on the planet. Well, I think our consciousness is going to be just fine. In the yeah, end. well, that's what I'm. That's kind of what the I'm, planet itself will get destroyed. Okay, yeah. and you think like physical bodies as well will be all wiped out, but then consciousness will go on. Who knows? I don't know enough about it. Yeah, but it, not just in terms of the singularity, but in general, do you believe that the consciousness? Oh, I survives think the body. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I do. I'm th- I'm not a religious person, but I I know enough about quantum physics that I mean, it's just quantum energy. It's the, it, the energy doesn't go away; it just yeah. gets redistributed. And how do you think it gets distributed? Personally, God knows. Like, what's your take? Do you think? Do you believe? <laughs> I do uh, not understand quantum physics. I've tried. I've learned. You know, I've read the super string books and all yeah. that. You know, Hawking's and all that stuff. But I mean, you know quantum physics i mean i was just reading an article the other day they don't physicists right now it's a big problem because they've just hit a wall they cannot figure out quantum physics no matter yeah. how many geniuses are go at it they can't figure it out right yeah and and, and which is which... and it's actually getting discouraged now at places like oxford and stuff to try to like to try to figure it out because it's it's they can't they they're can't not getting anywhere they're not getting anywhere they're spending lots and lots of time and money and yeah. they're not figuring it out so you know so that's that supports my it's a similar argument for me which is just that there's something unquantifiable within the human consciousness or within consciousness or within the human spirit and like these are things that you can't ever get to the real truth of. you can't like define it it's undefinable right and so and I'm not saying we shouldn't try. It's really fun to, you know, philosophize uh-huh. and theorize and yeah, speculate yeah. and then try all these tests. And that's what we've been doing basically since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, what does this do? How does this work? And we learn from every little thing. But then we, well, we're also pattern makers. So we start mm-hmm. to like pick up on things and we do things out of tradition sometimes rather than because it's the most practical or mm-hmm. <laughs> best way to do it. Yeah. Um, so... But my but the the bottom line for me is that you can't through quantum physics get an answer. You can get a bunch of answers about physics, mm-hmm. but you can't get an answer to what the hell is 
Well, that's because I, as soon as the moment you observe it, it's it's you've changed it. Yeah, it's like a simple thing. Or the moment you start talking about your expression of it or your version of it, experience of it compared to someone else's, it's always going to be just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And um, that's good in my mind. That's good. That's on purpose. That's part of the design. We're not uh-huh. supposed to know every single thing about every single thing. Right. Like part of the beauty of life is the mystery and not knowing and right. wondering. If uh-huh. you knew every answer, you wouldn't wonder about anything. You right. would not be curious and you would be a stagnant, you know, you would stop evolving. You'd stop ha- having any sort of reason to express anything. Mm-hmm. If you just like, well, we have all the answers now. So I always fight against that, like a, any type of science that is looking for the definitive final, this is it, now we know. Because I just think that's false. The theory of everything. Everything, even the Big Bang. I think it's bullshit. Like, yeah, you think that's what happened. You know, you could trace back the minerals, and you could look at the way the universe is set up, and you can uh-huh. you can draw these models. Well, you I mean, but quantum physics is now basically saying there's multiple universes, multiple right. b- Big Bangs all the time. Every every you know moment is a it can be a Big Bang. Yeah. Blah blah blah. So you know, that, and that's what that's they've just. It sounds like quantum physics is just kaput. It's it's stuck and it's not gonna yeah. it's not gonna be getting unstuck anytime in and, the near future. And that brings joy for me <laughs> when I think when I hear things. I'm sure it's like super frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah. To me, it's like cool. They still can't figure it out. Yeah. You're never gonna know what a deja vu is. You're never gonna figure out ghosts. Yeah. You know, UFOs are gonna remain questionable. You know. Yeah. I want that shit out there. It's more. It's better for me personally to have <clears throat> unknowns. I just think it's cool. I think it would suck if you just knew every answer. Like that's what, like what it already sucks that people just want to instantly look up, you know, something that they otherwise could have learned organically through uh-huh. experience. Right, right. Oh, I got it. I got the answer. Done. Yeah. No context, no retention, no real meaning. It's just like, I got the answer. I can say the answer. People think I'm right and smart and I'm done. I did my, I served the purpose of, you know, building the, the mask or the, the pretend me or whatever. Mm. I like the shit that nobody can figure out. Like, what do you, why does that happen? I don't know. And I don't think that, it, that, I mean, I do agree that all these things are headed toward what is called the singularity. Like all the technology is headed in that direction very mm-hmm. quickly. And I think a lot of it is pretty absurd shit that we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, these really super smart people who want to, put a mannequin in a car and send it to space for a publicity stunt, you know, like if that's how you get people on board with your vision, I don't know what your actual goals are. Yeah. It just seems seems like an ostentatious show of something. I don't know. Wealth. Yeah. And just like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, Tesla. so out there. I'm going to, I don't know. I just, SpaceX. Yeah. I think the human spirit is a lot uh, more, has more integrity than, people give it credit for and it will it will rise up in the face of you know assault or you know anything any sort of conflict with its own need to be you know well let us hope yeah cool all right man well how do you feel i feel feel like i've kept on that note yeah since we're all gonna die anyway (laughs) probably pretty soon just survive the trump era in a horrible way um yeah we, we gotta get, gotta through, get this. Through, the, through this. I'm I'm worried about the Pence area era. Well, yeah, but, but I'm not gonna start that whole yeah. landslide. We'll we will see. Cool. Interesting times. They are sort of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> scary, but it is. It's interesting. I yeah. Think so yeah, it's also really stupid. A lot yes. of the time. So stupid. It's just absurd. 
Um, yeah. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming. Of course. Thanks for for staying so long. Thanks for helping with my technical difficulties. I'm glad you got through that. I feel like a real boner, but I'll no. I'm, I'm gonna get it. It together. happens. Happens every <laughs> everywhere all the time. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna blame the vacuum. The computer. I think it's already. That's what glitched out the whole the whole system. No, I blame myself. Uh, all right, man. Well, lots of love. It's great to see you. Thank Likewise. You. Thanks for thanks, thanks for, for opening. Thanks for. Uh, I feel like I just sat sat here and talked about myself for That's, hours. It's kind of boring, but I don't. I didn't find it boring at all. Okay, um, it's a pleasure. Good. And uh, we'll put it together with some music and. Oh really? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. I got to listen to these podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's funny Nathaniel to have a guest Yuri, who yeah. hasn't heard one yet because mm-hmm. it's a different experience than someone who has. Mm-hmm. So you knew not what to expect mm-hmm. at all. So thanks for being so open and just. Thanks for me. having me. It's all an right. honor. Likewise. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was my friend Adam McCauley. Um, you know, sometimes in listening back to these episodes, I hear myself and I hear how much I interject and exclaim and proclaim. And um, and I also notice that sometimes I get pretty heated in these discussions. And I hope that my vehemence and or incredulousness or fervor aren't uh, misconstrued as anger, uh, either by the guest or my listeners. Uh, It's not my intention to yell or get mean or scary or anything. Um, I just love talking about stuff, and sometimes I get passionate. And, I mean, always I get passionate, because otherwise I wouldn't be talking about it, I think. Well, I'm sure I talk about some stupid mundane stuff too. But anyway, I really liked talking to Adam. It had been a very long time since we'd been able to, and never before in that capacity. And um, he stuck around for a long time. He helped me with some technical stupidness. And um, yeah, it was just really good to catch up. And also to learn new things about him that I didn't know. So if you want to learn about Adam... Macaulay, I entreat you to check out his website, which is adammacaulay.com. That's A-D-A-M-M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y.com. And there you will find all his beautiful artwork and illustrations and children's books and other cool stuff. You will also see in the music and video section some music videos uh, of some of the bands that we talked about that Adam played drums in and which are comprised of people I know and love. Um, so go check it out. And thank you so much for listening. I'm really happy to be back. I'm still not myself, but who is myself? I'm still trying to find out. Uh, thank you for coming along on that journey. And I love you all. I'll see you next week with somebody else who I don't even know who that person is yet. Do you like my grammar? I will talk to you soon. Bye.